Once Upon a Time in Adequately Advanced Magic. Each of you guys are rudely ejected onto the floor. Numerous tubes and pipes line the metallic walls of the room, with many of them connecting to four clear glass tanks. The fourth tank is damaged and empty. Meanwhile, Jack, in the fourth locker, you find a dress, and then some of the metal slides open. Inside of a now glass canister, you see a pixie floating inside. The three of you have just opened up the front doors to Constance's warehouse, and outside you see Virginia and Galazar, along with a couple of police cars and a pretty decent number of police officers. There's a moment of silence as the three of you zoom off away from the warehouse. Jack crouches on the seat of the motorcycle and then springs up and jumps up in the air onto the train. Rest of the people on the motorcycle hear this rumbling. Oh, is it the A-chain wheeler? <laughs> they have pulled out these little goblin-sized catapults. They are now launching goblins. You see the Gobfather walk up. He wingsuited in. Welcome to Falcon's Reach, a city in which magic is technology. You're listening to Adequately Advanced Magic. So we're at like a standoff 60 feet away type thing. Yeah, there's like a bunch of goblins like pointing their guns at you and the rest of you are at the end of the the train. It's straight out of Gangs of New York. (laughs) It sounds all right. (laughs) You notice that there appears to be two different colors of goblins here. And I by color, I mean like the color of the tracksuits. Okay. Okay. You see Goptic on one side with his group and these are like the multicolored ones where they just sort of, like, wear whatever. And on the other side, you see Gop Stopper, the goblin with the fedora and the scar over his left eye. And his group is smaller, but they seem to have fancier tracksuits. The goblin special operations. <laughs> the Gobfather approaches, and he stands just a little bit ahead of the other goblins, and he says, Gobzu, what do you have to say? For yourself. Gabzu pokes around Audrey's leg and he says, Uh, Godfather, we can't keep the pixie in here like this. It's not right and she can't stay in here anymore. The Godfather replies, Does that give you the right to take our sorts of income and betray the clan? Gabzu says, Well, it doesn't matter anyway. We're going to have to find a new way to find money. And then he looks at the three of you to back him up. Uh, I said, Gobsu's right. The pixie would have stopped producing pixie dust soon anyway. The method you had for funding your group is unsustainable. So says one of the ones who betrayed us. You asked us to bring you Gobsu? Well, here he is. (laughs) (laughs) Gobsu looks really nervous for a hot minute. We never said we would let you harm him after we brought him to you. The Godfather says, Well, what would you propose? 
I hold up a finger. I'm like, one minute. All right, guys, huddle. <laughs> huddle, guys, huddle. Let's see if we do the football huddle. All right. Well, we know they have marketable skills, right? Like, look at what they were able to do here. That's true. Those, those weight body with wingsuits. I mean, they probably got all that stuff from selling pixie dust. Right, but they still know how to use it, and they have it now. Yeah. I've never used a wingsuit. How would they use that to get more money? Maybe we just need to buy some time. If we get them just to get off the train and get out of our way, that's that's what we just need right now, right? Mm, we gotta convince the Godfather. If it was one of the, the lackeys, I think we could just convince them of something, but the Godfather is gonna be a little craftier. Well, there's probably a lot of Magitech on this train, right? We have no idea. Yeah, there's gonna be some. There was a special cargo and that they had. They had. We don't know what it is, but it's probably very valuable. Maybe we can special. just give them everything that we don't need. But the problem is, what if it's just like a one-off thing? They need to be able to make oh, money. Oh, they need to make money. Yeah. Uh... Any ideas, Gobzu? <laughs> Gobzu is just sort of like he. He's been left with the task of staring down all of his brothers and sisters. Oh no, okay. Just looking at... I mean, they've demonstrated that they're pretty resourceful, so I don't quite see how uh, not having the pixie would be so destructive, but I don't know specifically. Think, think of them as the, the South when they were caught in, I guess, they have other sources of income, but nothing can replace that. Maybe we can convince them to let us search the train for valuables. I think they'd like to search the train for valuables. They don't, yeah, they don't, they probably don't need us to search the train, right? They just would I know, do it. but like... We can talk. Well, about. I mean, at some point they're going to uh, call in uh, beer, beer security, whatever. Yeah. Bar. So how about this? Like, we can tell them that let's work together because we need to get something from the train. You guys are on the train. The security force is going to come, which they might not know, right? They might not know that there's a security force that's coming. So maybe if we work together to get this stuff and get off the train, and when we all live the fight another day, because the security force might wipe us all out. Yeah, but then they may just attack us and try to take the... The pixie, right? The pixie before the people yeah. come. Can we switch the pixie out, give him a fake one? Do you have, like, magic or something that can, like, trick him? Uh, nothing illusion. that would... I have one minor illusion, but I don't think it would, like... It's 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 fine at a distance, but, the, you know, once they try to pick it up, they would know. What if we throw your minor illusion pixie onto something and then they have to go get it in their bodysuits, wingsuits? <laughs> that's a good backup plan if we can't convince them to do something else yeah uh, yeah because they're after the pixie right they don't even care about Gobsu. I mean they definitely want to kill Gobsu, but okay what if you like three card Monty them or something you have like three pixies <laughs> like which one is the real one <laughs> no I mean, what were we going to try to convince them about the uh, the mushroom <laughs> mushroom farm oh is that an idea we, we proposed to them I don't think we proposed it to them. I think we were just talking about... Right. Because Hercure can make mushrooms out of nothing, in a way. Maybe. Oh, he can teach them how to... Yeah. Quote-unquote yeah. quote teach them. them. Yeah. I get that. That sounds doable. <laughs> yeah, the Godfather says, Are you done with your powwow? <laughs> Guess mushroom, mushroom it is, right? Mushroom farming? We'll, we'll kind of throw it all at the wall. And okay. Tell them there's so many, so many options. Yeah. You know, they're not... They gotta diversify. Yeah. You can talk about how you work for a business and you, you, you have business experience. Okay. You know what you're talking about. Send them your, your uh, CV. <laughs> CV, yeah, right. <clears throat> all right. What, what do they say at the end of the football huddle? Break. 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 Okay, can we all clap? <laughs> Are we clapping? <laughs> clap. Yeah, clap. 
So we turn and face the, the assorted goblins. I'm like, Godfather, we have lots of choices for you and for your Red Knife clan. Focusing on a single source of income is foolish because, as you've seen, if it's taken away, it means the downfall of your entire clan. All of the goblins will suffer. The key to success is diversifying <laughs> into as many possible resource streams as possible. For instance, my friend Herkir here is a master mushroom farmer and be willing to share his trade with you and provide you with the knowledge and resources to grow very valuable mushrooms with all kinds of effects. In addition, this train has very valuable resources, Magitech and Magitite. <laughs> We're after a single piece of Fabricate Magitech. Put everything else in the train with untold, unknown riches and values. Who, who knows? Look how well heavily guarded it is. Uh, <laughs> literally no one other than goblins and us. <laughs> and uh, we'd be willing to provide all of that to you so that the goblins would be able to find a future for themselves away from the unfortunate, immoral use of pixies for pixie dust. I know you don't want to have to use the pixie for this, but you just had to. I understand. But this is your opportunity to turn a new leaf, find a new path, chart a new course. Jack also chips in and is like, Look, guys, running a pixie dust operation is pretty risky. It's all under the hood, and you don't... That, that's not... You know, you're just playing with fire, but if you get into mushrooms, you know, you go, you go legit, you start selling the grocery stores, the mushrooms I heard are... A big food item these days and you never know you know and 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 that some people pay a lot of money for really really rare mushrooms there's that too no need to play with fire right goptic <laughs> goptic is just like uh <laughs> we attack the mushrooms from the front <laughs> all right roy go ahead and roll your persuasion check with advantage 21 <laughs> nice the godfather says i see I see that your proposal has reason, and I see that Gobzu, while he acted with impulse, that Gobzu may have been right. My only question now is, as people who have betrayed me before, how can I trust you again? What would you give as a sign of faith? Gobzu speaks up, and he says... Godfather, I'll I'll bring the pixie back. No. But you have to promise to free her. Are you sure we can trust this guy? He's been abusing this pixie for years. Uh Gobzu says, I think this is this is the only way. Why why would why would the godfather free the pixie? That makes no sense. Once he has her back. From your previous argument, keeping the pixie in there has no value. Oh, I see. Are you sure, Gobzu? He says, Yeah, I think so. I think this is the right way. Well, I'm willing to follow your lead on this one. If all else fails, we will we'll extract vengeance, Godfather. That's what many have said before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this this ain't his first gang deal. Huh. Say it like it's mine, too. <laughs> so are we all in agreement? Should have left the goblins to that damn mimic. I guess this is the only way. No great options here. If Gobsu thinks it's the best, then we'll do as Gobsu says. Alright, let's do it. Then they will take nothing from this train. Mm -hmm. They get the pixie back. Get, get out of there. 
they're freeing the Pipsy. That's what we're going to we needed well, to, to do anyway. They say they're freeing the Pixie. Yeah, we, we give them the things in the train once we see the Pixie free. Like we agreed. I think that's doable. Gobsy approaches the Godfather, and the Godfather pulls out a key. With your pretty high persuasion check, the Godfather is okay with all of this. He pulls out the key and he hands it to Gobzu, and Gobzu puts it into the keyhole, and then suddenly there is another sound. God damn it. Coming from behind you, and you hear a halfling land on the platform. Gobzu turns the key in the keyhole, and the pixie container opens. At the same time, this person comes in from behind you, and it's Virginia. Gobzu makes like a small squeaking noise, like, ah. But then he stands firm, and he looks at the three of you guys, and he says, you guys go on ahead. Gobzu says that? Herku takes off. Yeah, Jack, Jack runs too. Yeah, Audrey also runs, and she's like, now's not the time, Virginia. And Virginia's just like, ugh, now I sound like Constance. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Virginia's just like, oh my god, Audrey. How long are we going to play this game? You could just quit, Virginia. Hercule yells over his shoulder. And give up my pension and suits. You're working for the wrong side here, lady. That's what they all say. As, as uh, Nikos runs out with the rest, he's like, I bet that's not even real cashmere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the goblins make a little bit of like a parting the Red Sea to let you guys through. And as you leave the prison train car, you're pretty sure you hear Virginia kicking the shit out of goblins. <laughs> Man, goblin, godfather versus Virginia? Who would win that one? As you leave the train, you can see goblins being like, like you see one goblin get like kicked into the exit door oh. and his face sort of like is <laughs> like the the pancake face against the window. Oh man. And he slides down slowly. Freaking Darth Vader. Anyways, the three of you are now in between the last car and the second car. Can I kick the next door right. down? Yeah, sure. Do a strength check. Uh strength uh 12. Yeah, it takes you a couple of tries, but you eventually do kick the door in. Yes, take that door. There's no one in here except you see that hanging from the ceiling is a metallic snake mecha. Oh, snake mecha. Oh, like we saw yeah. in the uh, in the sewers. Yeah, it looks remarkably similar to the one that you saw in the sewers, except that this one is a different color. Right. Oh. And as you enter the train, you hear a voice go. Intruders detected. Oh, boy. Security Iron Cobra deployed. Iron Cobra? And you hear some latches activate from the ceiling, and the Iron Cobra drops to the floor in front of you. And we'll go ahead and roll for initiative. It's going to be a big old eight for me, dog. Oh, 18. Nice. 13 for her here. So we've got a nice spread there. <laughs> Make a histogram. The train car here is about 60 feet long and 20 feet wide. The snake has clunked onto the ground in the middle. From your direction, on the left is a series of control panels. On the right are a couple of racks of what appear to be utility magitech. You can see that there's a couple of grease, a couple of levitates, and some mending. And throughout the walls of the 
train car, there's a couple of large windows. You can see that you're blowing past West of Area neighborhoods at a pretty fast speed. The mechanical eyes of the snake gleam red. Oh, oh it's never a good sign. And then it slithers metallically towards you. What kind of metal is it? Like aluminum, steel, cobalt? <laughs> nickel? I mean, it's called an iron cobra, so... <laughs> it's an iron also, nickel alloy. Can we, if it's iron, we can make it rust, right? <laughs> does, does anyone have a rust monster in their pack? I don't. That's a just... joke for the whole old school uh, D&D crowd. <laughs> uh, in any case, it slithers over and it's going to rear back and then it's going to try and bite you, Jack. Oh, shit. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> Who could have seen that coming? <laughs> it's a nine. Nine. Does Actually, not hit. It's a oh. 11. Does not hit. Haha. <laughs> yeah. It rears <laughs> up, opens its mouth, and you see that there's. it has some iron fangs. Oh, iron cobra iron fangs. Okay. It lunges at you, and then you just duck out of the way. Haha. <laughs> this whole monster is just made up of different metal band names. <laughs> Jack, it's your turn. Alright, so it's it's in melee range, right? Yep. Okay, so basically I I'm trying to see. So any if I use my M pistol I have disadvantage because it's a range weapon. Correct. Yep. And then I have to disengage to get out of range. Jack is not happy because this snake tried to attack him. But Jack is reminded that he now has two fancier or two rapiers that are fancier than his short swords. So he cling cling, whips those out and tries to poke it through the weakness in its armor. I'm guessing it's kind of, it's got like plates. That's my imagination. Is that true? Or Yeah, any... like metal scales. Metal scales. So it's going to try and find, Jack's going to try and find a little hole to poke through. Or no, he's going to, yeah, no, he's going to try and go for the eyes. Always go for the eyes. <laughs> so is that okay? I can do that, right? There's no yep. restrictions. Okay. So. Right, yeah. All right. The first one is a 20. Yeah, that hits. Alright, and 1d8 is this diamond-looking one. So 2 plus 3 is 5 damage. And then... Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, let me describe this one first. Okay. Jack, the Iron Cobra engages you and you do like a quick twisty turn thing and you pull out <laughs> both of your rapiers. Yeah. With their first one, you try to stab it and you connect, except it just makes a metal ringing noise. Oh, shit. And the Iron Cobra looks nonplussed. As if it didn't really hurt it, or it wasn't yeah. hurt. Okay. Did that uh, attack seem to do no damage at all, or was it just kind of reduced? Yeah, it looks like the point at which Jack stabbed, there's just like the smallest of smallest of scratches. So no damage, basically. Yep. Okay. Jack looks at his rapier and is not impressed. and kind of wishes he had still had his short swords. <laughs> and he braces for the next attack, which doesn't mean anything. <laughs> well, that's what he's doing. All right, done. All right, here, here. All right, I kind of want to cast Heat Metal on it, but I don't know if that would actually hurt it. Also, it may just make us damage ourselves if we try to... <laughs> yeah. So instead, I'm going to cast Flame Blade. Whoa. So now I have a fiery scimitar-shaped blade in my hand. And I believe that's my action. I can't cast that and attack. Oh, casting time, one bonus action, so... I can attack with it. I rolled a 17. A 17 hits. All right. You will take 3d6 fire damage. Holy crap. I just rolled an 18 fire damage. Oh, 
Wow. Yes. Cha-ching. The uh, cobra snatches out at Jack. Hercure sees that Jack's attack does little to no damage. He calls up a flaming scimitar in his hand and strikes forward, scoring the iron cobra. I don't know exactly how the fire damage has affected it, or if it does, but... Yeah, you see, like, a hot streak of heated metal. Nice. The, the cobra makes a mechanical hiss, as if it's <laughs> a pain. steam gets released from the head. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and it's Niklaus's turn. <clears throat> Niklaus um, kind of moves along the left side of the train and takes a quick look at the control panels there. Do any of them say, deactivate security cobra? <laughs> do you want to spend a turn to do your do like a perception check? There's a lot of buttons. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll I'll examine the, uh, the control panels along the left side. Yeah, do the investigate check. Yeah. Natural twenty. So it's a twenty-five. Yeah. Take that snake. Twenty-five. You take a look at the control panel, Niklaus, and there's one entire section with way too many buttons that just control the train. There is another section that affect the Cobra. There is also a rather giant lever that says anti-magic containment field. Anti-magic containment field. That's ominous. Is that currently in the on or off position? It is in the on position. That's an anti-magic containment field that is on. I don't know that we want to turn that off. What is it containing? Probably the, it, the, the special cargo that we were told was in the other section. The thing that makes it go. Hmm. <laughs> okay, that's a lot of there. A lot of stuff. All right. Do you want to do anything else? In, in the Cobra section, does it just give status? Or what does it say? There's like a bunch of buttons. It's sort of hard to make out. Not having enough time to, to figure out what each button does. Nikos pushes them all. <laughs> all right. Mega Cobra activated. Or if there's a big red one, I'll try that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like whichever one has like a, there's just like a cover, you got to flip it up and then turn the key and then push the button. <laughs> all right, yeah, there's a couple of those. You find, you pick fireball. one, and then all right, I'm gonna roll a d8. Can I roll it and you just tell me what it does? Yep. D8. It's a five. <laughs> five out of six. You hit the button, and then I guess Jack sees this. It, the Iron Cobra sticks out its tongue, and one of three things load into place. Oh, shit. Yeah, the, the snake itself looks pretty surprised. <laughs> I didn't know I had this function. <laughs> yeah, so imagine, like, there's, like, the tongue, and then, like, the tongue has, like, three prongs. Okay. One of the prongs locks into place. Oh, jeez. And it's the snake's turn. Having been seared by Hercure, he's going to turn his attention to you, and he's going to try and bite you, and he rolls an unnatural 20. Well, that will hit, yes. The snake does 8 damage, and then do a constitution saving throw. 15. Yeah. The snake, like, bites you, and then its snake prong tongue tries to stab into you, and it does, actually. You feel some poison flowing into the wound, but you're unaffected. Uh, maybe don't touch those buttons, Nicklaus. Is it working? <laughs> I can't it just try to working. poison me. It oh. just tried to poison me. Okay, I'll try it, it here. I'll, I'll try me. this one you're, instead. You're activating weapons. 
Oh, oh, so not that one. I'll try the other one. <laughs> Maybe shoot it instead of pressing buttons. You don't know what they do. Jack, it's your turn. So the snake is not engaging me anymore, right? I just imagined you and Hercur were standing next to each other, so. So Jack looks over to Hercur and he says, I got to get out of here, man. I, my, my swords don't do anything. I'm going to try and get away and get a shot from the end of the room. So I'm not abandoning you. I'm just going to try and... <laughs> I understand. All I right. saw what little your rapier did against it. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack tries to uh, disengage and run to the other side of the room, away from the from the snake. Okay. So how did the opportunity attack work? Well, are you using the disengage action? No, let's take my chances. I want to get a shot in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jack, you try to tumble roll away yeah. from the snake, uh -huh. and it's going to try and bite you. Yeah, let's see. Let's see. So and it rolls a what? 16. Oh, that hits. <laughs> Does 9 damage. Oh, oh. Does it do any of the poison stuff? Yeah, go ahead and roll the constitution saving throw. Okay. Good lord. Roll a 17. Once again, the snake tongue prong stabs into you, mm -hmm. but it just nicks the wound uh, and you don't feel anything. Alright. Jack tries to like swat it away, but of no use. But now I can move, right? Yep. Alright, so Jack... Taking the damage, sprints to the... Not sprint, doesn't dash, but he, he gets to the other side of the room, whips out his M-Pistol with the Eldritch Blast module, mm -hmm. and uses the... Uh, he, he closes one eye and uses his uh, newly gained sharpshooter... Feet? Uh, feet, yeah. Sharpshooter feet. So, so I can choose to take a minus 5 penalty to the attack roll to add plus 10 to the attack's damage. And this time I'm going to do it right... And so just to be clear, I get plus two for proficiency, plus two for archery, and plus two for dexterity. Yeah? For my attack yep. roll? Okay. Let's see. Come on. Come on, big runny. Come on, big roll. <laughs> oh, fuck. I got 11. <laughs> <laughs> Your shot goes wide. So much work. <laughs> it actually hits the control panel next to Niklaus. <laughs> Does it break it or no? You see some smoke coming out of it. All right. Here, here. All right. I'm going to attack with my flame blade again. Natural 20. Oh, yes. Nice. Yes. So what, down a law. what do I do for that? Double the damage dice. So I roll a 66 instead of 3d6. Yep. And that's 12. 21 points of damage. Take him down. Wow. Nice. Yep. What does it look like? Herakir, having been injured by this mechanical beast, lines up his next shot and sweeps down, burning through the side of the co cobra's face. Yeah, the cobra hisses angrily. It's like, hiss. I hiss back. <laughs> <laughs> Bear your fangs. Alright, Niklaus. Niklaus takes a look at the snake. How beat up does it look? It's starting to look pretty beat up. Okay. He uses his uh, bonus action to cast Hex. So you see like a little blob of um, like dark smoke kind of shoot towards the creature and kind of like suffuse it. So it has disadvantage on strength checks and for his action he will cast ray of frost so the oh, nice. crackling bloom of bloom beam of blue white <laughs> light uh, Aww, it's an ice flower shoots out at the creature this can be a 17 to hit yeah that hits so it takes 1d8 cold damage and 1d6 necrotic it's gonna be 8 total damage Come on, die, snake. Slither back to the depths. 
Do uh, does the cold or necrotic t- seem to do more damage than anything else? Uh, no, they're the same. Okay, and its speed is reduced by ten feet. What happens? Uh, isn't it like not good if you heat iron up and then you cool it down rapidly? It's true. <laughs> yeah, it, like expands too quickly. Yeah, something, something like that. And just like shatter like glass. Oh, if it has any. I um, mean, if you, if you cool down metal too too much, I think it gets brittle. It's hmm. the um the, the different. If it has if it's made of more than one metal, then that would be a problem because they expand <laughs> oh. and contract at different rates. Oh. So, so the, here's your daily science lesson from Adequately Advanced Magic. <laughs> D&D, well known for closely following scientific principles. <laughs> In any case, it dies. Oh, yeah. yeah. So describe it for us. So yeah, as the uh, the blue beam of energy strikes out and hits the, the snake in its head, you see a slight frost starting to form and then the necrotic energy of the hex causes like to start to like rust and decay away even though it's not like made of organic material somehow that still makes sense and uh you see the head like crack as it loses the structural integrity and it can't support its own internal structure and kind of like crumbles down to the (laughs) deck of the train nice yeah it explodes oh yeah i still have flame blade for 10 minutes i mean slightly less than 10 minutes now so is that like a lightsaber basically it's like a flaming scimitar. So you can like yeah. cut through walls and doors and stuff? Uh, depending on what the do- wall or door is made of. It's not like a super magic weapon. It's just okay. a burny saber made out of fire. That's cool. To light a cigarette. But I can like send it away when I don't need it and then bring it back within the 10 minutes uh, spell. Should we grab the uh, magitech along the wall? Yeah, well, let's do that. Yes. Is there yeah. a ma- yep. magitech to go with it? Magitech to go with the magitech? Yep. Yep. You find three level one magitites, and Audrey, who I semi-forgot about, pops out from wherever she was hiding. She's been wrestling her way through all the goblins in between the two cars. <laughs> well, she came in the train the, the train car with you guys, I just forgot. I'm picturing like a, like a floor panel open, and then Gobsu's head comes up, and then her head comes up. <laughs> <laughs> I like how when it's like something that's supposed to be like super scary, you guys kill it in like three hits. <laughs> Look, and then when it's like a rug, it's like... <laughs> I mean, I haven't had a weapon that does 3d6 for very long now. <laughs> plus the nat 20 helped. Yeah. Rolling 18 on the first plus, plus then the nat 20. All right, so who who is looking at what? We're stealing the Magitech and or Magitite. Niklaus mm. is turning his attention back to the control panels to see what they are in more detail. Yeah, so the, the control part of the control panel for the train... Variously speeds it up or slows it down. But from your previous knowledge from working at the company, you do know that there's also like a central control for these kinds of things. So it's sort of like a manual override. Mm-hmm. The Now that you actually have time to look at the snake controls, you see that there's ways to turn off its damage immunities and condition immunities and magic resistance, uh, as well as pick its next weapon. And you look at the anti-magic containment lever, and you see that there's a hole blown through it now. Uh Uh-oh. So is the little light for on still on, or is the little light for off now on? (laughs) The little light is now off. Oh. Meanwhile, here, here, you rummage through the Magitech. Uh, Audrey helps you. I will roll for each type of these. I thought we got three level one Magitech, and then... (laughs) You find two Grease, five Levitate, and five Mending. Wow. Seems like a lot. I mean, it's a Magitech world. We're just living in it. <laughs> I mean, it's double digits. At their facilities. Anything else we need to do here? Is there anything we can take from the snake? Do a investigate check. 
11 plus 2, 13. You take a look at the snake, and its tongue looks pretty cool, but <laughs> as you reach down to pull it out, it just shatters. Oh, dang. Jack decides it's best not to touch that dangerous creature monster. I've been touched by it enough. <laughs> oh yeah, you got bit by it too, so. Yeah. Well, we still haven't found the uh, fabricate that we need. Right, I thought we thought that was going to be in the cargo car. Yeah, so. But we can. Uh, let's, uh, I don't think there's anything else here in this car that we need, unless you guys found anything else. Let's just keep going. Always keep going. Wonder what yep. frightening things await us in the next car. Are there still sounds of goblins fighting Virginia? Yeah. Okay. You hear like their tiny squeaks as they get kicked in the face. Oh. <laughs> also, a lot of gunshots. Okay. <laughs> you also hear Goptic yell, attack her from the front. <laughs> oh, Goptic. Full frontal Audrey. attacks. Audrey is like, all right, to the next train? Yep. Let's go. Someone who's not me lead. Jack will go first. Nicholas will follow up. Yep. Audrey right. will come... I mean, I'll he- I'll go up before Audrey. Yeah, she'll she'll head up the rear. Can we just open the door and see what's inside? I activate my uh, flame blade before uh, we go in. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still it's still like on, right? Yeah, right, I but I can have spent, it like I can have it showing or not showing. Like I can oh, okay. kind of do that thing, but it takes a bonus action to do that. So I'm doing that bonus action before we go in. Mm-hmm. Yep. The four of you head out of the control car, and there's the little gap. And ahead of you is the door into the cargo train car. As the four of you approach, the door creaks open. Uh Uh-oh. And you see some blood on the floor. Jeez. Uh Uh-oh. Dripping out. Like, there would have to be a lot of blood for blood to be dripping out, yeah? All right. Jack knocks first. What? (laughs) Jack decides to knock on the door. (laughs) Good God. All right, you you knock on the door. We're on a time limit here. We don't know when the virus security is going to show up. Jack knocks and then opens the door. <laughs> you open the door. With my gun, you know, pointing and you know, all uh, operator like. He's doing like moves he saw in uh, yeah. a possible mission play. <laughs> <laughs> and opens yeah, the door. You, what do we see? You look like John Wick as you enter the door. <laughs> A dog barks somewhere in the distance. <laughs> What's inside? Jack, you open the door, and this cargo train part is actually a little bit smaller than the ones that you've encountered before. It's like 20 feet by 30 feet. Wow. Uh, the first thing that you notice is that there's five dead bodies on the ground. If you put all the parts together, oh, it would probably oh. be like about five people. Oh, wow. The You see the remnants of some VIRE weaponry and VIRE uniforms oh so someone shot up this vire team yeah at the end of the train you see that there is a almost sort of like an egg-shaped chamber of sorts it's pretty sizable you could probably squeeze like three people into it on both sides of the train car there are just racks and racks of magitech standing in front of the egg-shaped apparently anti-magic chamber is a rather beautiful, white-haired, half-elf woman. Would it look like she would have fit in that red dress we found at the beginning of the... Her, her eyes, the woman. <laughs> and her, and her, his, and her his, measurements. His, his fashion sense. <laughs> well, first of all, she's wearing prison clothes, 
right now. She's not even wearing your shoes, and she's facing away from the three of you. But go ahead and do a... <laughs> a creep check? A wisdom check? All yeah, of us? Or just... Uh, just just here, here. Okay. 21. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, you have... You have a flashback to that dress that you found from the floating research station, and you, like, in your mind's eye, you put the dress on the woman. (laughs) (laughs) And it's... (laughs) I like how this is what Hirkir's memory is spent on, is (laughs) the exact measurements of clothes that he's found. Well, not the exact. I mean, it's... Dude, I had had no idea, but I totally forgot about that dress. I I mean, I just listened to the... (laughs) first episode this week so that's why it's <laughs> in my mind but yeah it's a pretty good fit the, the camera cuts to the floor and the blood continues to flow from these dead bodies Jeez. i wonder if she was the one who was in the fourth tube Herker says sort of absentmindedly to himself after completing his in-depth analysis of the dress and the half-elf woman as you say that Herker, everybody do a constitution saving throw oh Nine. Ten. Eleven. <laughs> nice. <laughs> we all peek our guts out. Yeah. Or worse. Or worse. The three of you suddenly get splitting migraines. Ah! You. Ow. Owie, owie. Niklaus, you put your hand to your head and those voices get louder and louder. You look up at this woman who's still facing away from you and in your mind's eye... You see that dream that you've had, where darkness is just exploding towards you. Amidst the pain, you can sense just overflowing feelings of unadulterated hate. From the half-elf, or...? Yeah. Okay. And all three of you feel this. Oh. Okay. Do I feel the object of the hate? You do, actually. It's everything. Jeez. Alright. The three of you also get flashbacks of being in those test tubes... And you get this feeling of, not deja vu, but you you have some recognition of the identity of this woman. You've seen her before, and your flashbacks make it increasingly obvious that she was the fourth person that was in those test tubes with you. Makes sense. Yeah. Audrey is like, uh, guys? Ah, uh, be quiet. It hurts. She's going to start grabbing some Magitek because she doesn't want to be in the bloody train car for any longer than she has I mean, to. Fair enough. Also, I'm not sure we've really come up with an exit strategy. Anyway, we'll figure it out. <laughs> oh, I guess we've got those levitate mag- levitate Magitates. Magitex. Yep. Are we still able to do things or are we, what is the word, unable to do stuff because of the migraines? Yeah, you're still briefly incapacitated. Incapacitated. The there we go. Where did that <laughs> word go? Can't do stuff. The thing where you can't do things. You currently have the condition of can't do stuff. <laughs> Unable to stuff. <laughs> stuff stuff. As the three of you are suffering from your migraines, the three of you hear the muttering of this woman. And she turns around and a magical circle appears from behind you. Like in the doorway behind us? Like in the ground behind you. Okay. Like a portal type thing? or Yeah, sort of like a portal type thing. Like she's summoning a monster that's going to try and eat us, or... Yeah. (laughs) Hey. From the hole climbs out a demonic-looking monster. Jeez. A large size with gigantic wings. It has two legs, two claws, and the beak 
of a demonic-looking bird. As it pulls itself out of the hole, it screeches, and then she teleports away. Teleports away? Yeah, she puts her hands together, casts a spell, that magitech, and then teleports away. Hey everyone, this is Joey, your Dungeon Master. I hope everyone has enjoyed adequately advanced magic so far, especially as we almost wrap up Season 1. We're really close. If you have a second, please do leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and also let us know on Instagram or Twitter what you would like to see in the upcoming season or any of our bonus episodes. Join us next week as Hircure, Nick Klaus, and Jack experience the glory of magic bazookas.